Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I want to start today by asking a few trivia questions. We're going to do just a little bit of trivia here just to see how you guys are, 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 are doing this morning. Um, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a list of book titles. And then I, if you know the author of the book, um, just shout it out, okay? So here we go. Um, the first one is The Making of the President, 1964. Anybody know the author of that? No? Okay, I didn't know either, so no worries. Um, uh, how about a book called A Gift of Prophecy? Anybody know that book? Anybody know the author? No? I didn't know that one either, actually, so we're good. Um, how about Games People Play? Anybody recognize that title or know the author? Who is that? What was that? You got it? Oh, you were, you were close. You're close. One person is close. to the. That's it. Wow. Awesome. Um, I didn't know that one. So uh, how about a book called Markings? Anybody ever heard of that? Wow, this is this. Oh, my gosh. We've got the trivia. So what we're doing here is we're planning a trivia night, so we're figuring out whose team I'm going to be on. Um, no, so, okay, so that's right. Um, how about a book called Happiness is a Dry Martini? Anybody know that one? You don't, you don't admit to knowing that one, right? Okay, yeah. All right, we'll talk. That was actually Johnny Carson. Um, I didn't know that one either. So here's the point I want to make about these books. These, these books were the best-selling books, best nonfiction, best-selling books in 1965. They were produced, they were uh, manufactured, they were distributed to millions of people. Hundreds of thousands of dollars were uh, put into promoting them. Uh, they were advertised on radio and television. Uh, speakers went on speaker circuits and, you know, advertised them there. Uh, Late-night talk shows, they talked about them. And that was 50 years ago, and only Gary Truman even knew any of the authors out of all of us in this congregation. Um, and this is, a, this is a sharp bunch. But we don't, we don't really, and, and I would wager that none of us, but maybe none of us, maybe one of us, can quote a single line from a single page from any of those books, right? And yet only 50 years ago, these books were just mass-saturating the market. Contrast that with this. 1,985 years ago, there was a Middle Eastern peasant with calluses on his hands who had no Twitter feed, who had no publicist, who had no uh, printing press, who was speaking to a group of mostly folks who couldn't read, who was speaking up on a hillside on a mountaintop. He walked up this mountain. He turned around. He sat down. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And as I'm saying these words, you're tracking with me, right? You know these words. It doesn't matter where you grew up or where you're from. When I start saying those words, you go, yeah, I know that. And it would just be ridiculous of me to even ask, who, sa- hmm, who said those words, right? What's, what is powerful and, and, and mesmerizing about what Jesus said 
is that even though he said these words almost 2,000 years ago, they still penetrate the hearts of people all over the world today. And, and these, again, are words that he spoke without anybody having a printing press, without any mass manufacturing, without any promotions or PR firm or anything, because his words had such a powerful impact on the hearers. And 2,000 years you know, later, they still, they still penetrate our hearts today. So the premise of this series that we're doing, called Jesus Said, is, is the, the premise is that a lot of us and a lot of people in our world have a lot of things to say about Jesus. But if we really want to understand who he is and what he's about, we need to spend some time listening to and learning what Jesus said. What did he say? Now, last week, we talked about the Beatitudes. That's the blessed are thee, blessed are thee, blessed are thee. That was a part of his sermon that we discussed last week. Uh, And that was a sermon about how following Jesus impacts or influences you. If you become a follower of Jesus, this is how it affects you, right? This week, we're moving on to the second part of his sermon, and we're going to talk about the impact and the influence that you have on the world as a follower of Jesus. So last week, it was about... Jesus' impact on you this week is about your impact and your influence on those around you. So if you are here today, and maybe you, maybe, you know, it's Mother's Day, so maybe you just got dragged here. Maybe you're like, you know what, I'm just punching in my Mother's Day card. I'm not even sure what I believe about Jesus. Not so sure that I want to be a follower of his. Not so sure that I, you know, buy any of this. Let me, let me just challenge you today to listen to these words and see if they don't somehow resonate deep in your heart, when you are asking the deep, fundamental questions about the essence of your existence. Because that's what Jesus in this sermon is talking about. He's talking about the essence of what it means to be a human being, the essence of what it means to be you. And we all ask these questions, right? If you haven't, then you're either under 12 or you will, right? We all have to ask these big sweeping questions about the meaning, the purpose, you know, uh, the existence of our life, why we're here. Um, For instance, we all ask the question, who am I, right? At some point in our life, we all ask that question, and it's a question of identity. Uh, If you have your sermon notes, please feel free to pull them out. You can follow along. Who am I is a question of identity. We all want to we all have to, at some point in our life, wrestle with and come to grips with uh, the, the identity of who we are. Who are we really, right? The great 20th century uh, psychologist, developmental psychologist, Eric Erickson, he had the eight stages of development, and one of them, he, he coined the term identity crisis. Um, and, and basically what he argued is, and, and, uh, is that at some point in our life, we all have to come to grips with some firm sense of ourself and who we are and what we are about. So that's one question that we all ask, right? The second question uh, that we ask is, can I be who I am? This is a question of character. Do I have the, the, the courage? Do I have what it takes to actually be the thing that I am? To, to live out who I really am. These are, these are called existential questions because they're examining the essence of our existence, right? And we all ask these questions. Can I actually be who I really am? The third question is, is a practical question. How do I do it? Like, what do I actually do to live out this life uh, that, in a way that is 
uh, tied in with who I really am. Like how, if I put boots on the ground, how do I actually do this? How do I walk this out step by step, right? All of us have asked this question or are asking this question. And the final question is why, right? It's a question of purpose. Why? Does any of it matter? Does anything that I do matter? At the end of the day, is any of it valuable? Does any of it, uh, uh, are there any lasting effects? Is there any lasting impact? Why does it matter, right? And in this passage from the Sermon on the Mount that I'm about to read to you in just a minute, Jesus addresses these four questions, identity, character, application, and purpose. And he says, when you understand these things, when you pull this together and you live this out, then you have a massively powerful and and impactful life on the earth. You leave a mark in in a way that is only you can leave because it's, it's you and it's you in collection with other people. Let me read you the passage. You'll recognize this. He says, you are, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, but if the salt loses its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? He said, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under other people's feet. And then he says, you are, you are the light of the world. A city that's set upon a hill cannot be hidden. And nobody lights a lamp and, 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 and covers it with a basket, but they put it up on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So that, right? So that, remember these little, little phrases. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in this passage, he, he addresses the question of identity, of character, of implementation, and of purpose. I want to start by exploring the first one, because that's where he starts. He starts with the expression of identity. He says, you are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now listen, context for this sermon. Um, Right before Jesus preached this sermon, uh, he was in Galilee, and he was becoming like wildly famous. So thousands of people were flocking to him. Scripture says that people were coming from Judea and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Samaria and beyond the Jordan. And people were all over this whole Middle Eastern region were coming because of this, this guy was speaking with this sort of prophetic authority and he was healing people. And, and this incredible power accompanied him wherever he went. And so people were coming out from everywhere. And before he preached this sermon, the scripture says that he went, uh, he saw, scripture actually says he looked, he saw all the crowd. And then he turned and went up a very tall hill because at some point I think he was like, look, I just need to, I need to retreat. I just want to talk to the people that are really like right there with me. I'm not really ready to, you know, spend a long time addressing the whole crowd. But what happened is that the crowd actually followed him up the hill. So when he sat down to give this sermon, he was, his disciples were gathered around him. Picture this. His disciples are sort of gathered around him. And then the larger crowd is sort of on the periphery behind the disciples, and they're listening in. But really, he's addressing the disciples, but he's allowing what he's saying to filter out and, and for other people to hear it. So that's the, that's the context. So when he's saying this, he's saying, you are, to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So he's beginning not by telling them what to do, but by telling them who they are. 
Now, I heard a preacher friend of mine give an illustration this week, and it was so good that I texted him, and I said, I'm going to steal that illustration for my sermon. And he did not text me back, which I take as tacit consent, meaning (laughs) not a problem. Use it, so I'm going to steal it. Um, I watched the movie Blood Diamond this week, and that's one of the benefits of having children is that you get to catch up on Academy Award-nominated films a decade after they're made. And um, so it was brand new to me. Uh, And I'm watching this movie, Blood Diamond, and if you know the story, it's the story about the diamond trade in Sierra Leone in the 90s and the the devastating impact it had on local villages. And in this movie, there's there's a father, his name is Solomon Vandy. And Solomon and his son are on their way to school, and they're having fun, and they're playing, and he's walking his son to school. And then all of a sudden, these sort of warlords come over the hill with machine guns, and they just start devastating the village. And they capture this little eight-year-old boy, Dia. They take him, and they also capture Solomon, and they take him a different direction. And so suddenly, this father and, this, and, they also, and the, the mother and the other daughter escapes. Um, And so suddenly this father is separated from his son. And throughout the movie, you see what's happening to the son. This little eight-year-old boy is is being turned into a child soldier. You know, he's being like uh, brainwashed and they're, and they're making him do these sort of these vile acts that are, that are totally contrary to everything he's ever been taught. And it's just changing him. It's changing his identity. If they change his name, they change, they, you know, uh, he loses his memory of, of, of his family. Um, they, they just completely change this guy into something else. And throughout the movie, his father is like desperately looking for him. He's traveling all over and, and risking life and limb to find his eight-year-old son, Dia, because he had escaped. The, the father had escaped. And finally, towards the climax of the film, Solomon, the father, along with his friend, this guy Danny, um, who was played by Leonardo DiCaprio. So just watch it for the accent that Leonardo does. It's very, very, very interesting. Um, so, so Solomon and, 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 and his friend Danny come and... They find Dia, and Dia is, is now like, Dia doesn't even recognize his dad. Dia has been turned into a cold-blooded killer. Dia has, is holding an AK-47. Dia, eight years old, has just killed people. He's, he's, he's completely been changed, right? So, so when uh, Solomon and Danny finally approach um, Dia's captors, they're able to, to kill them in this, this uh, shootout. And suddenly... There, when Solomon is about to reunite with this son that he's been pursuing for all these years, he looks up and his son, Dia, is pointing a gun at him and his friend Danny. And he's about to pull the trigger and kill him. Now, in that moment, Solomon could have said, put that gun down. Don't do that. He could have told him what to do and what not to do. But that's not what he did. He told him who he was. He said, Dia. Dia, you are my son. I love you, Dia. You have a mother that's waiting at home for you, who is making plantains and red stew for you. You have a sister who can't wait to see you. The cows in our village remember you, Dia. They love you. They want to see you. The dog that won't listen to anybody else, he'll listen to you, Dia. That's who you are. He said, they may have made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. You're my son, and I love you, and I'm going to take you home with me. And, the, you know, uh, 
I'm getting kind of choked up saying it, but like the dad, <laughs> the dad <laughs> is like tears pouring down his face. And this little boy is like remembering who he is. And the, lo- and, and the tears are pouring down his face and he lowers the gun and his father goes and he embraces him. Some of you are here today and you don't need to be told what to do. You need to be told who you are. You need to be reminded that you are a beloved child of God, that you are light, that you are luminous, that you are beloved, that you are dear to him, that you are his, and that he wants to take you with him, that he wants you to be with him. You may have done bad things, but you are a beloved child of God. Your identity is given to you by him, by him. So Jesus starts off with the you are. This is who you are. And then he moves from there to a, a, a caution against complacency. He says, but if, but if, disciples, but if the salt loses its saltiness, if it loses its flavor, or but if the light is being covered by a basket, then, then, then what good does it do? What good does it do you to be what you are if you're not expressing it if, it, if you're not being that thing. And Jesus does this thing where he uses these two metaphors, the salt metaphor and the light metaphor. And what he does is he's telling us the two ways that we can lose our impact, that we can lose our influence if we are not expressing who we are. And the first way is through dilution. Because he uses the salt metaphor first. And, and, and as soon as Jesus started talking about salt, everybody, his first century followers, they would have immediately started listening. Because salt in the first century in Jerusalem was extremely expensive. It was extremely valuable. In fact, the Roman soldiers would be given what's called a salarium, which was the salary that they would use to pay for salt. And that's where we get the word salary today, from the salarium, right? And when you hear the phrase, that guy's worth his salt, that's because it's at, at, at that point, people were being paid through, you know, with salt. It was extremely valuable. In fact, even in the Middle Ages, people called salt white gold. It was just an extremely valuable commodity. But in the first century in Jerusalem, around the Dead Sea, you, could, you would mine the salt, but the salt would be accompanied by all these other minerals and all these other chemicals. And the salt it was highly soluble, right? It's sodium chloride. So it would, if, if it got washed out, it would be the first mineral to get washed out. And what you would end up with was just, would just be like a pile of white dust. And it wouldn't preserve food, and it wouldn't make food taste better. It would just be dust that you would want to throw onto the ground and trample over because it would be worthless. And so Jesus is saying, with the salt metaphor, he's like saying, don't become diluted, right? Don't become just... Uh, um, you know, uh, don't just assimilate. Don't become camouflaged. Don't become, don't lose your saltiness. You are unique. You are distinct. You are different. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be weird. You're just distinct in the way that you live out your life. You live with integrity. You live with honesty. You seek out people that are hurting and you seek to serve them. You're different. You're not all about self. You're all about others. You're different. So don't become diluted, right? By the, by, by the world. Don't, don't become like everything else because then you lose the, you lose the essence of who you are. In fact, we, we heard the story in the, in the Old Testament of King Solomon. Great king, but at some point he wanted to be like all the other kings around him. And, and so he married you know, hundreds of wives and started building uh, um, 
temples to all these other gods and basically just became like every other king. And God at one point came to him and said, you got to stop this because now you're becoming diluted. You're becoming just like everybody else, right? And I'm going to take your kingdom away from you because you're not living out what I've called you to be. You're not, you're not being that. Um, and, and that's what happened with King Solomon. After he died, his, the, the, the whole nation split and fractured into, in, into different factions uh, because Jesus is saying, look, be who you are. Don't be afraid. Don't try to assimilate. Don't try to just be like everybody else. So that's one way that we can lose our impact and lose our influence. The other way is through isolation. So this is when, this is the light metaphor, right? The light is on, but it's covered. So it's not like you're not being bright. It's not like you're not being the light of who you are. It's not like you're not being uh, truthful to God's word. It's just that you're hiding it. You're not sharing it with anybody else. We have some friends um, that uh, are Orthodox, Orthodox Jews that live near us, and they're friends of ours, and they're not allowed to turn their light on during Sabbath because it's just one of the laws that they're not allowed to actually spark, you know, turn electricity on. So they have lights that are in these lamps, and the lamps have these sort of metal covers that you slide over them. So you don't actually turn the light off. You just cover the light. And Jesus is saying, if the light is on, don't cover the light with your life. Open it up and let your light shine. Don't hide. Don't be afraid. Don't run away. And I, I think in churches, a lot of times we see this distinction. Uh, sometimes a church, in a desperate desire to be relevant to the mass culture, they dilute completely everything that they have to say, and they end up saying nothing much at all and having zero effect or zero impact on people's lives. And then others, almost, almost you know, in response to this, go this way. And they cut themselves off completely from the culture. And they, don't, and, they, and they completely alienate and isolate themselves from every, everybody around them. Jesus is saying, no, be salt, be light, step out and be who you really are. Be who you are. And then he gives a call to action. He says, let your, let your light shine. Let your saltiness be salty. Be who you really are. Now, I, I used to have a wrestling coach. His name was Coach Jeffries. And, you know, when you're out there on the wrestling mat in high school, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're tearing it up, you're working, you're sweating, you're sore, you're bruised. You know, you, you really just want to lie down and take a nap is what you really want. And Coach Jeffries, I, I can still hear his voice. Coach Jeffries would stand on the edge of the mat and he would say, What are you saving it for, Rome? What are you saving it for? Leave it out on the mat. Leave it out on the mat. And what he's saying is, look, go for it, man. What do you have to lose? Pour it all out. Give it all you've got. Let your light shine. Be the thing that you are called to be. Be the man. Be the woman that God has designed you to be. Live it out. And if you fail and if you flop, we'll come around you. We'll pick you up. We'll walk you through it. And you can move forward with it. But be who you are. Step out and be who God has truly called you to be. Now, you may say, how? Okay, so right, but how do I do that? I'm not going to tell you the answer to that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you ask yourself three questions. Okay? Question number one is, what breaks your heart? When you look around the world around you, the things that are around you, what issue breaks your heart? What makes you say, you know what, somebody should do something about that? 
You know, maybe it's, maybe it's homelessness or poverty. Maybe it's in the field of education. Maybe there's something in the corporate world that you think somebody needs to address that. Maybe it's in law or medicine or academia, whatever it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, you know, uh, uh, teenage moms. Maybe it's fatherless boys. What, what breaks your heart? When you look around, what breaks your heart? What makes you think somebody should do something about that? That's question number one. Question number two is, what is a need that you can fill now? Maybe it's something just in your house. Maybe it's just in your home. Or maybe it's on your job. Or maybe it's at school, right? Or, or maybe it's in your neighborhood. But what is a need that you now can fill? Forget the over the big sweeping like problems of the world. What's something here now that you can do? Right? And then the third question is, where do you have influence? Like right now, because every single one of you has influence in some area of your life. It may be that you're only influencing one person, your child, or your spouse, or your friend, or your roommate, uh, or a student. But you all have influence. So when Jesus says, be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth, don't let that overcome you and make you think, oh man, there's just no way I can do this, right? Do it where you can do it. Do it where you have influence. Because you may not change the whole world, but you may change the little world right around you. I want to try an experiment. I don't know if this is going to work. I want to try an experiment. Now, usually I would not recommend that everybody take out their phone during church, but I want to try something. And this may totally flop, guys. And if it does, we will just erase this from our recording. Um, but I want us to, to, to kill the lights for a minute. And everybody take out your phone. Pete, kill the lights, please. All right. It's a little darker in here. Okay, everybody take out your phone. Or does everybody have a phone? Yeah, just me? And then shine your, hold your phone up and shine it. Look at that, man. Look at that. Look around you guys. Can you see it like I see it? Look around. Hold, move your phone around, right? Look at that. That's the metaphor that Jesus is giving. Okay, now let's turn the lights back on. Okay, turn it back on, Pete. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> All right, you can turn them on. Awesome. Um, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like saying, look, in the little spot that you have, does it look different in here now? Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> um, in the little spot that you have, be the light in that spot. The question answers itself. When Jesus says radiate light, immediately we know that this is not about us. This is about the darkness that you know around you. The emotional darkness, the financial darkness, the relational darkness, the career darkness. It's about that. So it's not, it's not a big issue of like, you know, what about me? It's not about that. It's about what about the darkness? And what, what in fact, the way that verse is written, it, it, Jesus is saying radiate luminosity, radiate beams of light. That's what, that, that's, what the, that's what that means. He's like, so find the darkness in your community, in your world, and, and pour light into that, all right? Amen. And number four is the question of purpose. So that, so that, because he gives us the clarity of purpose. This is where he says, here's the motive, because what he said in that passage is, you know, uh, you are a light, but if, you know, but if you're hidden, then what good is it, right? So let your light shine. Why? So that others, 
Other people can see your good works and they can glorify your Father in heaven. So none of this, the motive behind all of this has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with me. The motive is to bring other people to experience the love and the light of our Heavenly Father. That's what motivates all of this. And when you have that as a motivating principle, man, there's just like nothing to stop you. Because there's nothing more important, there's nothing greater in the universe than to bring other people into that relationship with God. Through your good works, through your good acts, you radiate. And people notice. When you persevere in the face of difficulty, people notice that. When you're honest, when it's easier to be dishonest, people notice that. When you're faithful, when it's easy to be unfaithful, people notice that. When you're consistent, when it could very easy, you could very easily be inconsistent, people notice. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're all going to mess up. We're going to fail. We can be forgiven, you know. But when we let our light shine consistently over and over and over again, it brings people into a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's what motivates all of this. I got an email this week. I want to read a piece of it to you. This is from um, a young woman named Dorothy in our congregation. Dorothy came here from China and started attending law school at Washington University. And one of our members, one of our trustees, actually, Allison Schaefer, um, met Dorothy at WashU Law School, and they began to talk. They began to talk about God, and they began to talk about Jesus. And Dorothy came to U City Family Church. And uh, she's been here a year. She is a member of the church. She's on the sound team. Um, it sounded great today, by the way, sound team. So good. Um, and, and she's getting ready to move to Los Angeles um, because she graduated from law school. And listen to this email that she wrote. She said, I have to thank God that I'm so blessed to meet Allison and to learn about U City Family Church. She said, this is the greatest church I have ever seen in my life. And I totally agree with that, Dorothy, 100%. (laughs) Thank God, she said, he loves me so much. I really feel people's kindness and sincerity in our church. Because nobody sees me as as a visitor. Everybody greets me as if I'm an old member here. She said, like, they say, like, oh, Dorothy, you need to join our life group. Or, oh, Dorothy... You, the sound team really needs your hands. <laughs> Thank you for accepting me, she says. One day when I look back and recall the days I spent in this church, I may not remember all the slides showed on the screen. No, that's probably true. Um, and I may also forget some of your classic jokes. I don't know. They're pretty good, Dorothy. But, but she said, all the promises God gives, those will never fade away. I will, uh, she says, I've been through a lot this year, but the thing I'm most proud of is that I stand more firmly in God's words and my faith grows bigger than a tree. <laughs> bigger than a tree. She said, I will not forget to dare to dream and dream big. And I will remember God's word that says, quote, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. May God bless you and God bless you city family church. She says, is that awesome or what? Here's, here's what I want to say. Dorothy's experience and the people that are coming to U City Family Church and, experience, and other churches, not just ours, but, and are experiencing the love of God and the love of Christ are experiencing it because of the expression of love and the, and the light that you are shining into their lives. You want to know what happens when we really be the light when we really shine the light of God's love, when we as a congregation really do that, you want to know what happens? I'll show you, all right? 
This is what happens right here. And this is what happens. 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 And this. And this is what happens. And that's a good smile, Kanisha. And this is what happens. 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 When we shine the light of Jesus. It is not about me and it's not about you. It's about us being who God has called us to be and who he's made us to be, right? And we live that out and we shine that out in our world and people notice that and they give glory to God. They come to God and have a a loving relationship with God as a result of the good works that you do here in our church, out in your community, in your school, in your home, and on the job. So be the light this week. Be the light. I want to I end with this one very simple thing. Two, two things I'm going to have you do this week. Number one, practical application. Write down one thing that breaks your heart. One area, one issue, one problem, one thing in life that makes you go, man, that needs to change. And then write down one thing, one thing that you can do about it this week. Maybe it's a Google search. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's just beginning to do some research on it. But write down the one thing that breaks your heart and one thing that you can do about it this week. Let's start this week being the light, being the salt, changing the world so that people may glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you. We thank you for your words. We thank you for the powerful, powerful words that Jesus said that transform our lives, that seep into the very core of who we are, that respond to the deepest questions that we have about the essence of our existence, about our life, about our world, about what it means to be a human being on this planet. Your words speak to us in powerful and profound ways. Lord, help us to have the, the, the softness of heart the, the, the openness of heart to allow your words to drop deep down into the soil of our heart and take root. Let them be watered. Let them be nourished. Let them grow. And like Dorothy says, let our faith grow like a tree planted beside the water. Father, we come before you today and we thank you because this is not, it's not about us. It's about us reflecting the light of you to the people that we meet. In every situation where we encounter others, let us be that light in our words, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions, in every respect. Let us be the light. Father, we praise you for this. We worship you. We lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I like exploring the words that Jesus said. I just think, man, let's just do this for a while, right? I'm going to invite you to worship with us now. Uh, 